Hey y'all, Rochelle here. And Lynn. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Or share us on social media so more folks out there can join the Idgits and Aspets family. And don't forget to subscribe as well so you automatically have our newest episodes. Okay, so <laughs> the teachers in my school district are still on strike. So if you hear honking semis, again, it's not the end of the world. It's just, <laughs> just people honking at the teachers. So <laughs> there's no semis actively trying to drive yeah. through your house, is what you're saying. <laughs> right, right. So I'm totally not complaining. P.S. Uh, at all feel you know very pro teacher um, but uh, you just might hear it <laughs> yeah, you might hear it that's what's happening it's not the end of the world okay <laughs> okay so uh, today we we're talking about uh, the season finale woo so one, episode 23 called do you believe in miracles uh, I'm just gonna start out by saying I think that I hate Metatron the very most in this episode and it is because <laughs> He does a lot of like, well, I mean, obviously we'll get there, um, but like he does a lot of like in it, trying to look innocent puppy dog face and mm -hmm. like it's so fucking manipulative funny. son of a bitch. <laughs> it was it was it was physically painful to look at, you know, yeah. like. Like, mm -hmm. if I had had enough to drink, I would be throwing up right now. Like, it was, <laughs> it was every time like, I watched this episode with Killian, and he, like, he was not that affected by it. But I was just, like, literally, like, shaking with, like, disgust and rage at his touch. <laughs> just, like, face. raging out. <laughs> he's, he's like, okay. <laughs> he's like, oh, I hate this guy. Uh. So, anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, we start out. Uh, with a recap of the season. So we're carrying on my wayward son, uh, which I we're forgot was everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that was going to happen. And I was, I'll, I don't know why I forgot, but I did. So it's good. <laughs> and then um, the episode starts like seconds after the last episode ended. So Sam and Cass are holding Dean back from Gadriel, who is like slumped to the floor, bleeding everywhere. Dean kind of escapes out of their grasp and faces Sam, who is blocking Gadriel access. Sam says, drop the blade, Dean. Dean says, move. Sam says, Dean, look at me. Dean says, Sam, move. And uh, then Cass, like, jumps Dean from the side, and Sam grabs Dean's right arm and the blade. Sam says, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Okay, sorry. Let it go! <laughs> <laughs> so we cut anyway. to... <laughs> Uh, we cut to a short time later in the bunker's dungeon. Sam and Cash shove Dean inside and stand between him and the door. Dean says, the hell if you think I'm riding the pine on this one, guys. What What does that mean? Doesn't riding the pine, isn't that like talking about a casket? That's, I think so. I think it, like if you're going to play dead, you know, like okay. All right. that's what he, I, that's what I kind of took out of it. Like, yeah. he, like I'm not going to play dead, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, Sam says, something is wrong with you, Dean, and until we figure out what, this is where you have to stay. Dean says, and you two are going to do what? Take on Metatron yourselves? That's smart. Oh, no, <laughs> wait, no, you, any motions to Cass, you got your, or, no, that's not what he says. <laughs> he says, <laughs> you lost your angel army, and you, any motions to Sam, now you're trying to lock up the one guy who has a shot at killing the son of a bitch. Hell of a plan, fellas. Uh, Sam and Cass don't say anything <laughs> and move out of the dungeon area and push the door shut, locking Dean inside. Dean calls out after them. He says, look, hey, guys, Sam, 
Sammy! <laughs> wait, wait, come back, come back. <laughs> here. Uh, but they don't respond, and they go into the main room of the bunker. Uh, Sam and Cass put the first blade into a box on the table. Okay, like, are you going to lock that box? Are you going to hide that box? Like, what? You're just putting it in a box on the table. What? Like, yep. Hey, <laughs> that didn't make sense to me. I was like, okay, no. if you're not just going to, like, hide it, then why, don't you- why is it even a box? Just put it on the table. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So what's the point? Okay. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Cass says, Sam. Sam says, yeah. Cass says, Dean wasn't wrong. My followers have abandoned us. Sam says, yeah. And Gadriel says he can help us. From where I sit, that's more than an even trade. So they look over to uh, to where Gadriel uh, should be on the floor, but there's just a lot of blood and no Gadriel. <clears throat> so we cut to Dean in the dungeon. He is throwing up all over the floor and coughing. <laughs> Uh, that was really not thrilled about the whole I don't have my my toy <laughs> situation. Yeah. And like, sh- <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like when kids get like so worked up about something that they just like throw up. Like that's kind of <laughs> like <laughs> I mean that's, that's kind of what it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, yeah. That was some chunky barf too. I was like, <laughs> oh, I want to know what you ate and didn't chew enough. Like, what's going on there? <laughs> So, okay. Uh, he finally recovers a bit and walks over to a small mirror that's in one of the like, little cupboards. And we see um, his mouth is, like, covered in blood. So that's great. You're hurling up blood, dude. Mm-hmm. And weird, weird chunks. Okay. And then we get our opening title sequence. So we cut to Metatron and his assistant named Neil. Uh, they're in Metatron's office in heaven. Metatron is concentrating on whatever he's typing on his typewriter. Uh, Neil says, so, uh, Metatron, Metatron, Metatron does not respond. So Neil says, God, <laughs> Metatron says, just a second. Ugh, douche. Okay. Twerp. I know. Neil says, is that the new angel handbook you're working on? Or, uh, Metatron says, no, no, this is a story, Neil, a marvelous story full of love and heartbreak and love. Neil says, sort of like the notebook. Metatron (laughs) says, uh, Neil says, I love the notebook. (laughs) Metatron Uh, says, no. He just seems too precious. (laughs) He is. He is. That was very sweet. Okay. Uh, Metatron grabs a hoodie and a coat from a chair nearby and holds them up for Neil to look at. He says, quick, which one makes me look more pathetic? Neil says, why do you want to look Your pathetic? Your face does that for you. <laughs> Make any expression. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Neil says, why do you want to look pathetic? You just reunited all the angels under the banner of heaven. I mean, that's like, Metatron says, winning a People's Choice Award. Not quite the real deal now, is it? All set? Neil leans over uh, a box that's on a table and adjusts some knobs. <laughs> I said knob. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then he hands Metatron a microphone. Neil says, uh, yes, sir. Uh, flip the switch. Uh-huh. Wait for the light and bingo. Metatron says, and every angel in heaven and on earth will hear me. Neil says, you and only you. The signal blocks out all other voices on angel radio. Come on. Metatron tests the microphone and says, hello, this is Metatron. There's some pretty strong reverb happening. Neil says, more reverb. Reverb? I don't know. Reverb, yeah. Reverb. Re- I, oh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> whatever, yeah. <laughs> Neil, 
Metatron is really annoyed. He says, because I'm Lou Gehrig? Um, which I'm pretty sure is offensive, but that's fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Neil says, sorry, sorry. And he adjusts the knobs <laughs> some more and then goes. He, he's playing with his knobs. <laughs> he is. Got to adjust Retro. that. <laughs> uh, he gives Metatron the silent, you know, you're on finger. <laughs> Not quite finger guns. Almost, so. I know. Well, it was so funny because, like, well, I mean, in literally two seconds, you'll say that, you know, he was offended. And, like, I was like, I do this to Lynn every time. (laughs) I thought about that, too, but it's not annoying. I appreciate the finger guns because, you know, it's pretty clear what you're saying. Okay, it's your turn now. Also, it's funny because the expression on your face is always hysterical. I don't know if you know that, but it's pretty funny and it makes me smile. So, I, I like your finger guns, so. Thanks. Yeah. Don't. Okay. Anyway. Metatron says, don't do that. Then into the mic, he says, I'd like to take a moment to welcome you all back. I want you to know how moved I am that you've accepted me as your new God. My heart, as they say, is full. Okay. I just want to pause there. What heart, you rat bastard. (laughs) Also, if you're going to say my heart, as they say, is full, that makes me think that your heart isn't really full. You're just like going like, oh, this is how I should feel. Mm-hmm. So this is this is how they say I'm going to feel. So I'm going to say I feel this way. But you mm-hmm. don't, douche no. nugget. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. So Metatron continues, <laughs> which is why I want to share some wonderful news with you. I'm going on a short trip. Heaven's door will temporarily be closed pending my return. But rest assured, all will be explained. And it will be glorious. Uh, Metatron shuts down the mic and grabs his pathetic-looking hoodie. Neil says, where are you going? Metatron says, to tell the rest of the story. So we cut to Sam and Cass, who have been tracking Gadriel to a field close to the bunker. Gadriel is laying in the grass with his slashed chest bleeding a whole lot. Sam and Cass rush over to him. Gadriel kind of comes to when he sees who it is. He says, please, I'll leave you alone, I swear. Cass reaches out a hand to heal him. And says, we're not here to hurt you. Gadriel says, no, your grace. Healing me will only weaken you. But Cass heals Gadriel anyways, because Cass is the bomb. Okay. (laughs) Gadriel says, did you hear him? Cass says, Metatron. Yes. Where is he going? What does he want? Gadriel says, I'm afraid humanity. So we cut to Crowley getting a back massage from a pretty girl demon in a massage parlor. And I would just like to say her technique is awful, and that's all I'm (laughs) going to say. (laughs) <laughs> okay. You hurt yourself. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Crowley says. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe she's a demon and doesn't care that it hurts her meat suit. I don't know. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Crowley says, oh, God. <laughs> the, girl, the girl says, I would have thought you'd be more relaxed having defeated Abaddon. Crowley says, what can I say? I wear my stress. <laughs> wow. Wow, uh, buddy! Okay. <laughs> I think I would ever said that to you. I um, because I've never heard that before. I mostly hear a lot of "Oh, I carry my stress here," or "I, you know, whatever." Like that's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty normal, normal, you know. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> not that I that people wear their stress. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the girl says, "You know, with so many demon demons having rallied back to your side." Oh, sorry. Suddenly. Everything I just tried to, <laughs> I like had a drink a minute ago and it just like bubbled back up and then I'm like, oh no, I know it's happening, but just give me a second to follow. 
Sorry, that was so awkward. Okay. <sighs> okay. The girl says, you know, with so many demons having rallied back to your side, well, it's only natural that they would look to their king for some direction. Crowley says, love, if I wanted a soapy massage from Dr. Phil, I would have hit three on the speed dial. All right. I love that he means that Dr. Phil is number three on his speed <laughs> dial. <laughs> I know. I mean, what business does he have? <laughs> so I'm not surprised. I mean, <laughs> not a Dr. Phil fan, but okay. I mean, uh, I don't really feel one way or the other about Dr. Phil. I do think it's interesting watching his show sometime, like the clips from his show okay, or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what sort of drama is this? Like, yeah. That's where the catch me outside. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, the girl demon says, "I'm sorry, sir." Suddenly, the room starts to shake. The girl says, "Sir, I believe you're being summoned. It's a Winchester." <laughs> I like that you can tell by the way the room shimmies that it's a Winchester. But okay, Winchester <laughs> shimmy. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, so I cut to Dean kneeling in the bunker dungeon with a summoning spell in front of him. Uh, he lights the ingredients and instantly Crowley appears inside the devil's trap. Crowley says, what's that smell? <laughs> That's vomit, Crowley. Okay. Dean says, what the hell's happening to me, you son of a bitch? Crowley says, liquor before beer? Bad taco? How should I know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn it off. Ever since I killed Abaddon, it's it's like this whole other thing. I get this high, and I need to kill. I mean, I really, really need to kill. And if I don't, Crowley says, you yak your guts out. It's the mark. <laughs> Dean says, meaning? Crowley says, it wants you to kill. The more you kill, the better you feel. The less you kill, the less better you feel. <laughs> Dean says, how much less better? Crowley says, one would imagine the least less better. Wait, no, that's not what he says. He says, one would imagine the least best better. <sighs> Dean says, so, dead. Well, Cain had the mark. He didn't die. Crowley says, Cain was a demon. Your body's not strong enough to contain the blade's power. Dean says, what if I got rid of it? Crowley says, you want to get rid of it? Dean thinks for a sec and then says, what I want is Metatron. Crowley says, go on. Dean says, but I have to get through that door and have to get to the blade, and you're going to help me. So we cut to Sam, Cass, and Gadriel entering the bunker. Uh, the box that the blade was in is open on the table because you didn't fucking lock it or hide it. Jesus Christ. Okay. Nope, just like, here, it's right here. Yeah, We're putting it in a, a safe like... open space oh, okay. <laughs> for you to find easily. <laughs> yeah, so Sam rushes over to it, sees that it's empty, and says, oh, no. And Gadriel... acts like he's surprised. What did you fucking think was going to happen? Okay. Gadriel says, what's that smell? Sam says, sulfur. To, and then at that moment, I had to pause it because Killian's like, what? Sulfur? Why does it smell like sulfur? So <laughs> explain the whole demonic sulfur thing. <laughs> and then he was like, so... And then I was like, no, no, no. Like, if you smell sulfur, that does not mean demons are here. It means somebody made deviled eggs. Okay? So... <laughs> Or you're at a hot spring. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great. Okay, so we cut to a short time later. Sam is on the phone talking into his brother's voicemail. He says, Dean, pick up the phone. Call me back. I'm not kidding, all right? Don't do this. Not like this. Cass says, are you sure it was Crowley? 
Sam says, who else would he summon? I mean, he and Crowley have been romancing over the blade ever since Dean got the mark. Gadriel says, the mark? Cass says, the mark of Cain. Gadriel says, so that's what Dean caught me with. The first blade. In a way, that could be useful. Sam says, what? Gadriel says, well, Metatron is more powerful than ever, but if Dean has the first blade and the mark, that might give us our best chance. Sam says, you're joking, right? An hour ago, we were ready to throw Dean into a padded cell, and now you say he's our best chance? Cass says, hear him out, Sam. Sam says, (laughs) yep. Sam says, oh, right, excuse me. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. uh, I'm a little less than eager to hear that our best chance is, is arming the warhead and hoping it hits the mark. That's not a bomb we're talking about. This is my brother. Gadriel says, and your brother would not be in this alone. We can help. Sam says, how? Gadriel says, I believe Metatron has found a way to tap into the angel tablet, harnessing his power to give him powers equivalent to, Sam says, God, right? I mean, that's what this is all about, isn't it? Metatron wants to be God. Gadriel nods. Sam says, well, great. That basically makes him unstoppable. (laughs) Cass says, not if we can break the connection between Metatron and the tablet. That would make him just an ordinary angel. Where's the tablet? Gadriel says, Metatron's office. Sam says, in heaven? Gadriel says, I can get us to the door. Sam says, and then what? I mean, why would they let you in? If Metatron's number two shows up with heaven's most wanted, and he motions at Cass, and then says, the gig is up. Cass says, Sam, we have to try. Excuse me, I just burped. Okay, sorry for that. It was gross. Oh, no, I'm drinking some weird bubbly shit. Not alcoholic. <laughs> not that anyone would care, but okay. <laughs> okay, so we cut to a lady walking down a street. She's talking on her phone. She says, damn it, Al, I don't care what you've got going on tonight. He's your kid, too. And I'm telling you, he's on drugs. <laughs> Which I want to hear okay. more about this. But, yeah, okay. And so the lady goes to cross the street and walks right into an oncoming car. Uh, she's kind of thrown up and over the vehicle and then she lays on the road, bleeding out of her face holes and not moving. Uh, a crowd kind of rushes over to her to help. And we hear people say, oh, my God, she's dead. She's dead. And then Metatron, dressed in his pathetic outfit, uh, comes out of the crowd and says, I'm not so sure about that. Okay, I just want to pause for a second and say, this isn't just some lady who got hit by a car and Mm -hmm. then Metatron happened to be there. I mean, it's implied that he caused this whole car accident. Otherwise, why would he be there? He's looking for a miracle. He's not just hanging out on every street corner waiting for someone to get, you know, hit, right? Like, he orchestrated Yeah, I mean, it could be a coincidence, but I would expect that he might have had something to do with it somehow, you know? Yeah, I think it makes sense that he did that, unless he's like you know, can see everywhere all at once and instantly be there, which maybe he can with his, I mean, with you know, his tablet powers. powers that would make but, sense, you know. But it just seems like he's douchey enough to have orchestrated the whole thing. Oh, for I, sure, yeah. That feels I'm more kill somebody right. briefly and bring them back to life so then that way I look better, you know? Like, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we cut to... Out. Yeah. Ugh. We cut to Dean and Crowley pulling up to a cafe in the Impala. They go in and Dean spreads all his stuff out on the table with a first blade wrapped in its cloth and a laptop. Uh, Crowley sits down as well. The waitress approaches them and says, uh, what can I get you, fellas? Dean says, coffee, black. Crowley says, are you serious? You take this girl's table, her time, you spread out like an overgrown teenager. And for what? What's the tip on a single cup of joe? A nickel? 
<laughs> I I just love that his like his angst about the whole situation. I know. Like, I, I, yeah, the waitress looks kind of happy about this speech. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of cool. Dean like glares at Crowley and says to the waitress, double cheeseburger, everything heavy on the onions. The waitress says, you got it. Crowley says, so this is what you and Moose do, eh? Crisscross the country, searching for evil, order your nitrates, partake of the local attraction. And then we get a, like a close-up of the waitress's butt. <laughs> Dean says, yep. Crowley <laughs> says, you never get tired of the rat race? Never get the urge to just bugger off and howl at the moon? Never ask yourself, is this it? Is this all there is? <laughs> I kicked human blood, you know. Dean says, oh, so you're a full metal douche again. Well, that's fantastic. Would you like a stuffed bear? <laughs> like, what do you want from me, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Crowley says, just trying to make conversation. Dean says, how's hell, Crowley? Crowley says, hell's fine. Hell's like a switch. A, ugh, I'm going to start that over. <laughs> hell's fine. Hell's like a Swiss watch. Don't worry about hell. Hell's complicated. Dean says, Game of Thrones is complicated. Shower sex, that's complicated. <laughs> you know what? Yes, it is. It is. It is. Yes. No one should ever too many, deny that. Too many, like, incidents, or, like, too many opportunities for incidents, I would guess. I would and say. it's slippery like, in there. I mean, well, there's okay. like, yeah. too many opportunities to get hurt. You know? It really is. It's just, it's a whole sudsy danger zone. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay uh dean says hell ain't complicated your problem ain't hell it's you crowley says fair enough what's your problem then (laughs) dean says my problem is metatron right now there's nothing there's no angel smiting no crazy acts of god no vermin hail if metatron's making his move on earth he's taking his sweet ass time uh just then some hench demons come into the diner crowley says never fear calvary's here uh, the two demons walk up to Crowley. One hands him a phone with the video pulled up on it. Crowley nods and motions for them to leave, so they do. Dean says, and? Crowley says, apparently, your angel has gone viral. Crowley hands the phone to Dean, and it plays the scene from the street uh, with Metatron as um, captured by two teenage boys on their camera phone. Uh, the, boy, the first boy on the recording... Um, uh, he's filming the butt action of a girl walking down the street. He says, and that, <laughs> that sounded weird. The butt action. <laughs> that sounded like it was going to take a turn. <laughs> well, you know, he, there's a girl walking by and her butt is swishing as they do. And he's recording it. Okay. Butt action. I mean, that's butt action. Okay. No, it is. It just, it just like made me giggle a little. <laughs> Uh, the boy says, and that America is perfection. The second boy says, yo, dude, that's your sister, which, um, I want to deep dive into that too. Like what? I don't think you do. (laughs) I really don't think you do. A little more information. Okay. Uh, suddenly the car crashes into the lady walking down the street and the boys, uh, quickly run over to them with their phone still recording. We hear the person yell, oh, my God, she's dead, man. Metatron pops out of the crowd and says, I'm not so sure about that. He bends down and heals the lady. As he helps her sit up, he whispers something in her ear, uh, but we don't hear it. The first boy says, is he freaking serious? Boy number two says, did you hear that? Holy, tell me you just got that. 
dude, what's your name? Metatron looks straight into the phone and says, Marv. And then the recording ends. Dean says to Crowley, when was this taken? Crowley says, a couple of hours ago, Muncie, Indiana. Dean says, what did he whisper in her ear? Crowley says, exactly. Dean gathers up his stuff and gets up. Crowley says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to eat your food? Dean puts some cash down on the table and says, not hungry. So we cut to Cass and Gadriel pulling pulling up outside a playground. Mm -hmm. There's a young girl and her mother there. Cass says, the door to heaven is in a playground. Gadriel says, guarded by two of Metatron's most loyal. I recruited them myself. So you said you had a plan. How might we convince them? No. How we might convince them to let us pass. Cass pulls out some handcuffs and says, Wookie. Uh, <laughs> Gadriel looks very confused. He says, brother, I have no idea what that means. Cass says, it's a reference to a very popular film that, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I love how, like, Gadriel is just looking at him like, are you fucking with me? Like, I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, they approach the playground. Cass is in the handcuffs. Um, the young girl, Angel, uh, named Pura, I think that's how you say it, uh, gets off the swing. Pura, and, I think. Pure, Pura? Yeah, Pura? I don't remember it. Like, okay. I remember thinking, like, oh, pure angel, you know. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, Pura. You know. Okay. Uh, she says to the mom angel, Azariel. Gadriel says, Azariel, Pura, make way. Pura says, the door's closed, Gadriel, by orders of Metatron. Gadriel says, and who do you think gave the order to capture Castiel? Unless you think Metatron isn't interested in questioning the leader of the rebellion. Uh, Azariel thinks for a moment and then says, the spell must be redrawn. Gadriel says, as quickly as possible then. So you cut to Dean and Crowley pulling up to an RV park. Sam is standing next to the RV that they stopped by. Dean says to Crowley, I got this. So Dean gets out of the Impala and walks up to Sam, who is super annoyed. (laughs) Sam says, I guess one of us doesn't need a demon to help follow a clue trail, (laughs) which is really snarky and I like it. (laughs) Sam (laughs) says, you're looking for Miracle Lady, right? Yeah, she's gone. I had a nice chat with her, though. Dean says, Sam, whatever kind of intervention you think this is, trust me, it ain't. I'm not going to explain myself to you. Sam says, yeah, I sort of got that. I just thought you might like to know that while you two have been playing a odd couple, your real friends, like Cass, like the angel you stabbed, Gadriel, they're out there right now risking their asses to help you win this fight. Dean says, what the hell are you talking about? Sam says, a fight, I might add. You made that much more complicated when you decided to stab the one angel who could actually get us to Metatron. Dean kind of rages out and said, you mean the angel that took you for a joyride? A joyride? <laughs> the angel that slaughtered Kevin? That angel? Sam says, who you let in the front door in the first place. You tricked me, Dean, and now I'm the one who wakes up in the middle of the night saying my hands kill Kevin, not you. So please, when you say you don't want to explain anything to me, don't. I get it. And I also get that Metatron has to go. And I know you're our best shot to do that. Dean says, and I'm going to take my shot, for better or worse. Sam says, I know. Dean says, no matter the consequences. Sam says, I know. But if this is it, we're going to do it together. You want to know what he whispered to her, right? In the video? His next stop. Crowley, who is standing close by, says, so what are we all gollywagging on about? Chop, chop. (laughs) Sam and Dean both turn to him uh, with annoyed expressions. Crowley says, excuse me. I'm not exactly demon minion number three here. 
as the kids say, I've got mad skills. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Dean says, look, I don't know what you expected here, okay? I didn't really care, but you wanted off the hamster wheel. Get off. Crowley says, well, I guess I've been Winchestered. I think <laughs> he's butt hurt. <laughs> he says, I'd wish you boys good luck if I thought it would help. Uh, and then Crowley disappears. So we cut back to the playground. Pyrrha finishes, uh, or, yeah, drawing the angel spell portal in the sand. It lights up and Gadriel and Cass step into it. They are transported to an elevator in heaven. Uh, an angel named Ingrid and the angel Hannah meet them as they step out. Ingrid says, well done. We've set word to Metatron. He'll be back shortly. You can wait inside. Gadriel says, thank you, Ingrid. Cass, Gadriel, Ingrid, and Hannah all step into Metatron's office. Um, but it is immediately transformed from the office to jail cells that lock both Gadriel and Cass in separate cells. Cass says, what's going on? Gadriel says, pretty rotten oh, trickery. That's what's I going know. on. Poor Gadriel. He says, no, 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 not here. And, like, he's having a little breakdown about it. <laughs> I mean, I would, too. <laughs> like, I, I just got to please don't put me back in. Exactly. Ingrid says, did you really think your little ruse would work? Gadriel says, please, please. Ingrid says, welcome to Heaven's Jail, Castiel. I believe Gadriel can give you the tour. And was that necessary, Ingrid? I know. Don't be that was bitchy up. about it. Come on. Okay, so we cut to a homeless encampment. Uh, Metatron is pushing a grocery cart into the community. A woman stops him. She says, excuse me, I'm sorry, but are you Marv? Metatron lifts his hood to reveal that he is Marv. And the woman grins. Uh, She walks over to another man. She walks Marv over to another man. She says, this is my friend George. George says, I hear you perform miracles. Metatron says, it is a burden I accept. <laughs> George says, he holds up his flask and says, a little single malt? The woman says, George? George has blood. Metatron says, how about we take care of that diabetes? And then Metatron heals them and then motions to his flask and says, left you a little something to celebrate with. The woman says, thank you. And George takes a swig of his new alcohol. <laughs> Suddenly, a man uh, with a scarf <laughs> kind of shouts out, he's a fraud. Metatron says, I'm afraid I don't know what you mean, good sir. How can one be a fraud when one offers nothing? A little love, a little hope, and the occasional miracle. Nothing more. Scarf Angel says, you know exactly what I mean, Metatron. (laughs) Metatron says, (laughs) Metatron says, excuse me? The angel says, his name is Metatron. And much as he'd like you to think, he is not one of you. He's an angel. We both are. Metatron says, an angel? Okay, someone's been drinking out of George's canteen. And the homeless Mm -hmm. people laugh. The angel says, so you deny you're the former scribe of God. Metatron says, sir. The angel says, a petty, unliked, unloved angel. Metatron says, these people don't want to hear. But the angel says, driven by the relentless pursuit of power and nothing more. Metatron says, this has really gone too far. The angel says, who's already brought the rest of the angels under his iron thumb. Metatron says, as I will you, brother, if you don't. But a homeless woman interrupts and says, shut your mouth. Angel, scribe of God, please. The angel says, it's true. The homeless woman says, what is true is what I can see with my own two eyes. You want to call him pathetic? Common? Be my guest. Who here isn't? 
but who here has the gift that this man has? Do you know what he did? The angel says, and I'm afraid if you'd seen what I'd seen, you'd think of him as nothing more than an abomination. George says, abomination, try miracle worker. Another woman says, try Messiah. Metatron says, better. Like, jeez, dude. I know. The <sighs> angel says, I'm sorry you don't believe me, but I must do what my mission demands. I must protect you. The angel starts toward Metatron, but doesn't get far before he is attacked by the crowd of homeless people. They beat him down and throw him on the ground and cover him up with a tarp and continue kicking and punching him. Metatron says, yeah, that's not gonna, uh, huh. They love me. They really, <laughs> really love me. And then Metatron drops his angel blade to the ground and kicks it into the group of people beating up the angel. George picks up the blade and stabs it into the angel under the tarp. And we like, see... I dropped it. Yeah, we see the flash of dying angel light peek out from under the tarp. Uh, so we cut to Dean digging around in the Impala's trunk, which is parked outside the homeless community. Uh, it's nighttime now. His right hand shakes uncontrollably until he puts it on the wrapped up blade. Uh, Sam walks up unnoticed, but sees Dean getting a high from the blade's power, which is a little awkward, I think. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Love uh, it. He, <laughs> he clears his throat and Dean jerks his hand away from the blade. Dean says, anything? Sam says, uh, yeah, he's up there about a mile up the road. There's a homeless encampment. The way folks are talking, he's got them convinced he's some kind of new Jesus or something. Dean nods. Sam says, you good? Dean says, yeah, I'm good. Sam reaches over and picks up the first blade, hands it to Dean. Dean says, listen, Sammy, about, um, you know, the last couple months, Sam says, I know. So before we find something else to fight about, tell me, are you ready to gut this bitch? <laughs> Sam turns uh, to pick up his bag, uh, but he turns, uh, but as he turns back around to face Dean, Dean punches him right in the face and knocks him out cold. Ugh. He is always knocked out. <laughs> Poor guy, man. I, I know. Just... Like, there's no, he would be a drooling mess. Like, let's be real. The amount of times he's been concussed. Like, no, you're not functional anymore at that no. point, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the very end of the show, they would be like, oh, and this was all in Sam's head because he's hallucinating everything. I so. know, because he's okay. been knocked out so many times. Yeah. Okay, um, so Dean kneels down next to Sam uh, and gently puts a hand on his chest. He says, sorry, little brother, it's not your fight. So we cut to Hannah talking to Gadriel and Cass, who are still locked up in Heaven's prison. Hannah says, okay, so you're telling me that Metatron set you up, arranged those suicide bombers to make himself look like the victim. Cass says, Gadriel was the second in command. For what other reason than the truth would he turn against Metatron? Hannah says, so now I'm expected to trust the word of an angel who's only ever thought of himself since the garden. And you? You told us not a single angel more would die in this fight. Cass says, what do you think I've been trying to do? Hannah says, trying? By killing Metatron? Cass says, he is the reason for all of our suffering. Hannah says, nothing you say matters. Cass says, would you rather I not try at all? Hannah says, not if you can't prove it. Cass says, so give us a chance. Let us out, Hannah, please. So we cut to Dean walking into the homeless encampment. George says, can I help you? Dean says, take it easy, chief. The woman, the woman, homeless woman who like brought Metadouche to George says, you're Dean Winchester. 
Dean says, now, how did you know that? The woman says, he said you were coming. Dean says, well, here I am. Where's Metatron? Of course he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says, where's Metatron? George says, Marv. Dean says, sure. And I realized that Marv is short for Marvelous, isn't it? Marvin. No, no. Maybe, he said, I don't know. He, when he was talking to that, um, his, like, assistant, Neil, in his office, you know, the one who likes the notebook? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he was saying that it was something. He said the word marvelous. And I was oh, like, okay. oh, that's what Marv is short for. You icky, icky person. Okay. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah. I mean, sure, Marvin, but I, I don't know. Okay. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the woman motions to a building and says, in there, praying for our forgiveness. Dean says, forgiveness for what? And the woman's eyes go to a pool of blood on the ground. Uh, Dean looks at them and says, is he now? So I cut back to Heaven's prison. Gadriel says, I sat in this hole for thousands of years, thinking of nothing but redemption, of reclaiming my good name. I thought of nobody, no cause other than my own. Tass says, you've been redeemed, my friend. Gadriel says, the only thing that matters in the end is the mission. Protecting those who would not and cannot protect themselves, the humans. None of us is bigger than that. And we will not let our fears, our self-absorption, prevent us from seeing it through. Not anymore. Gadriel opens his shirt, and we see the explodey angel sigil carved into his chest. I know. He's holding a sharp piece of, like, broken concrete? I don't know. It kind of looked like broken rock. It wasn't glass. I don't know. It was like concrete Broken or something floor. from the cell. Yeah. Cause he was looking at a pile of like busted like rubble. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Cass says, no, of course not. Gadriel says, move to the other side of your cell, Castiel, and keep your head down. Uh, Cass moves quickly away and says, what are you doing? Hannah rushes over to Gadriel's cell to see what he's doing. Um, she fumbles with the key to unlock the door, but she drops it. Gadriel says, when they say my name, perhaps I won't be just the one who let the serpent in. Perhaps I will be known as one of the many. Cass says, Gadriel. Gadriel says, who gave heaven a second chance. To Hannah, he says, run, sister. And then Gadriel jabs the sharp piece of whatever it is into his chest and explodes with light. Uh, the blast breaks down the prison walls. Hannah rushes in to see him and Cass slowly comes out of his own cell. And we see that Gadriel is dead. And I'm so sad because I love that actor so much. <laughs> but, I mean, he, you know. As a character, did, like, it's that, like, I mean, okay, fine. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did redeem himself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I Like, yeah. I don't hate him. But oh, it's no. just kind of like, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cass says to Hannah, do you believe him now? So I cut back to the homeless encampment. Uh, Dean has found Metatron. He is sitting cross-legged on the floor um, in the back of the building or warehouse or whatever it is. Dean says, you can save the humble pie Jesus routine for someone who gives a damn. Metatron says, the problem with you, Dean, is the cynicism. Always with the cynicism. But most people, even the real belly crawlers living in filth or Brentwood. Where's Brentwood? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Metatron says, they don't want to be cynical. They just want something to believe in. Dean says, and that'd be you. Metatron says, why not me? Dean says, you've been working those people outside for, what, a day? They've already spilled blood in your name. They are nothing but Bernie Madoff with wings. And also, who's Bernie Madoff? I don't know. I don't know. I hope this is all covered. (laughs) I feel like, hopefully, yeah, this is in the interesting (laughs) facts. It probably will be, yeah. 
<laughs> so Metatron stands up and says, so I'm a fake. Do you have any idea how much pancake makeup and soft lighting it took to get God to work a rope line? He hated it. And you know, humans sense that. So they prayed harder and longer and fought more wars in his name. And for what? So they could die of malaria, leukemia, and all the while blaming themselves. Oh, if only I'd been more prayerful. God would have loved me. God would have saved me. You know what? God didn't even know their name. But I do. Because I've walked among them. And I can save them. Dean says, sure you can. So long as your mug is in every Bible. And what would Metatron do is on every bumper. Metatron <laughs> Literally says, has a God complex. <laughs> literally, yes. Literally. I know. Metatron says, and why? Are you blaming me for giving them what they want? Giving them a brand they can believe in? Dean starts to unwrap the first blade and says, I'm blaming you for Kevin. I'm blaming you for taking Cass's grace. Hell, I'm blaming you for the Cubs not winning the World Series in the last 100 freaking years. Whatever it is, <laughs> I'm blaming you. Didn't I know like he was that. a Cubs fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Metatron says, the first blade. Nasty piece of work, isn't she? Okay, let's say you win, Dean, and I die. What's the world left with then, hmm? A herd of panty-waisted angels? And you? Half out of your mind with Lord knows what pumping through those veins? Dean steps up close to Metatron and says, yeah, you see, the only thing you've said that went into my ears was that you die. Metatron says, oh, fine, we'll fight. I don't know what you expect is going to come out of all this, unless that's why you're stalling. Because you know nothing's going to come of this unless your pals succeed upstairs. Well, here's a newsflash. Humpty and Dumpty are sharing in their very own version of Locked Up Abroad, Heaven. Right now. Okay, I, I got a question also. Which one's Humpty mm -hmm. and which one's Dumpty? <laughs> I don't I'd know. like to say that Cass is Humpty because I like that. I wouldn't be <laughs> upset about Gadriel being Humpty, however. So now I'm torn. I, I mean, really I think of like... either of them as Dumpty. Yeah, I feel like it. I, I don't know if it really matters because I think it fits for both, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be fine for both anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Humpty is fine, but Dumpty, Dumpty, I don't know. That nah, I don't want to call either Dumpty. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Humpty and more Humpty. Let's go with that. Okay. Humpty one and Humpty two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so uh Dean looks surprised at this information and then throws out his hand to stab Metatron with the blade, but Metatron blocks it and Dean punches him in the face with his left hand. Metatron stumbles back. Metatron says, wow, that big blade and that douchey tribal tat sure gave you some super juice. Whew, okay. The Metatron motions with his hand for Dean to bring it on. <laughs> Dean rushes him, but gets thrown into the air, and he hits the wall about 10 feet up and then falls to the ground. Uh, we cut to Metatron's office in heaven. Hannah is threatening Ingrid with her angel blade. Cass is there. He says, where is it? Ingrid refuses to talk, so Cass says, remove her. Uh, we cut back to the homeless encampment. Uh, Metatron flings Dean back against the wall, and he falls to the floor again. Metatron kicks Dean's right arm, and the first blade flies out of his hand, and then Metatron steps on his wrist and says, so, you took Abaddon's scalp, then you figured you'd take on old Nebishi me. What could go wrong? And you're powered by the bone of a jackass, and it is just awesome, right? Here's a tip. Next time, Try to be powered by the word of God. And then Metatron kicks Dean in the chest. Uh, we cut to Sam uh, running down some stairs into the homeless encampment. 
he looks around for Dean. And when he doesn't see him, uh, the homeless people start to surround him. So he pulls out his gun. Sam says, stay back. Stay back. Where's Metatron? So we cut to back inside the warehouse building. Metatron is like beating the crap out of Dean. He punches him almost unconscious and Dean slumps to the ground. Now there's blood pouring from his face holes Mm. and Metatron bends down and punches Dean one more time in the face. Uh, We cut back to Metatron's office in heaven. Cass is still searching for the angel tablet. He finally sees Metatron's typewriter sitting on the desk and goes over to it. He lifts the cover up and there is the angel tablet glowing brightly. We cut back to Dean, who is barely conscious. He opens his eyes just enough to see the first blade sitting on a grate a few yards away. Sam rushes in from the opposite side of the warehouse. Uh, Dean wills the blade into his hand. And just as he goes to swing up and stab the blade into Metatron, Metatron stabs his angel blade into Dean's chest with both hands. Dean gasps and Sam yells, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Metatron pulls the blade out of Dean's chest. Uh, and then we cut to Cass in Metatron's heaven office. We see the angel tablet fall to the floor and shatter. Uh, then we're back with Sam and Dean. Dean's almost lifeless body falls over. Sam races to Dean, completely ignoring Metatron, who is like standing right there. Sam grabs Dean's arm and pulls him back into a sitting position against the wall. Sam says, hey, 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 hey. Dean's eyes pop open, uh, and then the warehouse starts to shake. Sam then remembers Metatron and tries to stab him with an angel blade, but Metatron disappears and then reappears in heaven. Um, Real quick, why is the warehouse shaking? I feel like I didn't follow up Um, on that. Was that answered? Because the angel, remember, like... Oh, because the angel tablet shattered. Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Okay. So Metatron appears uh, in his heaven office in front of Cass, who is sitting in Metatron's chair. Metatron says, well played, Castiel. Obviously, you and Gadriel managed to turn a few dead enders against me. Cass says, Gadriel is dead. Metatron says, oh, so Gadriel bites the dust. And the angel tablet, arguably the most powerful instrument in the history of the universe, is in pieces. And for what again? Oh, that's right. To save Dean Winchester. That was your goal, right? I mean, you draped yourself in the flag of heaven, but ultimately, it was all about saving one human, right? Well, guess what? He's dead, too. Cass looks horrified. Metatron says, and you're sitting in my chair. <laughs> then Metatron <laughs> uses his, like, angel power to handcuff Cass to the chair. Uh, we cut back to the warehouse. Sam is trying to press a cloth into Dean's chest wound. Dean struggles to talk and says, Sammy, you got to get out of here before he comes back. Sam shushes him and says, shut up, shut up. Just save your energy, all right? Oh, man, we'll stop the bleeding. We'll we'll get you to a doctor or I'll find a spell. You're going to be okay. Sam takes Dean's hand and presses it to his chest to keep the cloth in place. Dean says, listen to me. It's better this way. Sam says, what? Dean says, the mark. It's making me into something I don't want to be. Sam says, don't worry about the mark. We'll figure out the mark later. Just hold on, okay? Get you some help. Sam pulls Dean's arm over his shoulder and grabs her on the waist and hauls him up. Dean groans. Uh, We cut back to heaven. Cass says, you will never get away with this. Metatron says, get away with what? You told a silly story to a group of less than believers. I'll clean up your mess in one hour. Cass says, you give our brothers and sisters far too little credit. They will soon learn that you have been playing them. Metatron says, and then? 
They will do nothing because they are frightened little sheep flocking my crook wherever it leads. Mm, that's not right. Following my crook wherever it leads. That sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where I'm taking them, back to our rightful place atop this mountain of human shame and excrement. When that happens, trust me, they're not going to care how they got there. Uh, we cut back to the boys. Sam is struggling to keep Dean upright as he practically carries him towards the exit. Dean is gasping for air and trying to hold the cloth to his chest. Dean says, what happened with you being okay with this? Sam says, I lied. Dean <laughs> says, ain't that a bitch? So we cut back to heaven. Metatron says, you know why you could never quite pull it together, Cass? While you're sitting there with your grace slowly burning away and your reputation long extinguished? No curiosity. You didn't read enough. You never learned how to tell a good story. Cass says, but you did. Then Cass looks over to the desk where Metatron's all angel microphone sits with the switch on, uh, broadcasting his entire speech to every angel in heaven and on earth. Uh, the doors bust open and a bunch of angels walk in and take Metatron captive. Cass gets out of the chair and raises an angel blade uh, to stab Metatron, but then he lowers it. Uh, we cut back to the boys who are still struggling to get to the exit. Dean says, Sam, hold up, hold up. Sam sits him down on a piece of equipment. Dean has blood coming out of his mouth. It's on his mouth and lips, which I guess are the same thing. I don't know why I said that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he is struggling to breathe. He says, I got something to say to you. Sam says, what? Dean's hand is on Sam's shoulder, but as he talks, he kind of moves it to hold Sam's head. Dean says, I'm proud of us. Sam tears up, and then Dean's hand falls from Sam's face, and he closes his eyes and falls into Sam's chest. Sam says, no, no, hey, 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 wake up, buddy. Sam pulls Dean back upright, but Dean is dead. Sam holds Dean's face with both hands and gently shakes it. He says, hey, Dean, Dean. Sam starts to cry as he hugs Dean's body. Uh, we cut to Cass and Hannah locking up Metatron in a prison cell in heaven. Hannah says, you're doing the right thing, letting him live. It's what a leader would do. Cass says, I'm no leader, Hannah. I never was. I just want to be an angel. Hannah says, and your grace? What will you do about that? If You you will die if you don't replenish it. Uh, so we cut to the Men of Letters bunker. Sam gently lays Dean's body on Dean's bed. His face is clean of all the blood. Sam stares silently at Dean's body and then starts crying. Uh, then we see Sam sitting at a table in the dark in the main room in the bunker. He drinks a bunch of whiskey. Uh, and then we cut to... Another short time later, Sam walks into the dungeon uh, with all the summoning spell ingredients still sitting on the floor where Dean left them. Sam says, damn it, Crowley, you got him into this mess. You will get him out. Or so help me God. So we cut to Dean's room. Crowley is standing there staring at Dean's body. Crowley says, your brother, bless his soul, is summoning me as I speak. Make a deal, bring you back. It's exactly what I was talking about, isn't it? It's all become so expected. You have to believe me. When I suggested you take on the mark of Cain, I didn't know this was going to happen. Not really. I mean, I might not have told you the entire truth, but I never lied. I never lied, Dean. That's important. It's fundamental. But there is one story about Cain that I might have forgotten to tell you. Apparently, he too was willing to accept death rather than becoming the killer the mark wanted him to be. So he took his own life with a blade. He died. Except, as rumor has it, the mark never quite let go. 
You can understand why I never spoke of this. Why set hearts aflutter at mere speculation? <laughs> I wanted you to be one of us. All right. <laughs> it wasn't until you summoned me. No, it wasn't truly until you left that cheeseburger uneaten that I began to let myself believe. Maybe miracles do come true. And Crowley goes over to the bed and puts the first blade into Dean's right hand and lays both of them on Dean's chest. He says, listen to me, Dean Winchester. What you're feeling right now, it's not death. It's life. A new kind of life. Open your eyes, Dean. See what I see. Feel what I feel. And let's go take a howl at that moon. And then we, as viewers, kind of hover over Dean's face. Suddenly he opens his eyes and they are demon black. And credits. Okay, so I have thoughts. And my first one being that on the top of Dean's most complicated list <laughs> is Game of Thrones and shower sex. And I would just like to say that if these are the most complicated things in his life. How, like, how, that's the thing. How are they the most complicated things in his life? He's literally, like, saving the world all the time and, like, and having to dying. do like, demons yeah. and, you know, dying and coming back to life and, like, going to hell and purgatory and all these different things and, like, shower sex. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Dying and going to hell, I pretty straightforward. You know what I mean? Like, sure, you have complicated feelings about yeah. it, but, like, the act itself, probably not that complicated. Now, shower sex, the oh, act but, like, itself. like, what about fighting all of these monsters that you're, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you know? complicated, but, like, he, you know, shower sex and, and Game of Thrones is just that, that next level <laughs> of complication. So I can understand that. Now, again, I haven't uh, seen or read Game of Thrones, but. Yeah. So I can't. I can't speak to the the complicated. No, it's complicated that, but, for sure. But like, I feel like there's a lot of other things that are more complicated than that. <laughs> like what? What's like, more complicated than shower sex? Like, I I truly can't think of anything at this one moment. Trying to get a donkey to do something it doesn't want to do. <laughs> do you have a lot of experience with that? <laughs> do you have a I, lot of experience? I've I've met a few miniature donkeys. Let me tell you what. If they don't want to do something, they ain't gonna do it. Same with goats. <laughs> okay. You know what? Getting my son to go to sleep. That's complicated. That is complicated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know that it's more complicated than shower sex. Getting my cat to shut up. <laughs> oh, that's just impossible. That's not going to exactly. happen. It's, you know, <laughs> he speaks when he wants to speak, and there is no shutting him up unless it's with wet food. Like, yep. And he can't have that all the time. You know? Right. Okay, well, yes. I think Dane is right. It, it is complicated. Oh, I'm not saying it's not complicated. Yeah. I'm just saying that's on the top of his most complicated list when he does a lot of things that are pretty complicated. Yes, he does. He does. <laughs> but eh, whatever. Yep. Um, also, I totally forgot that he got stabbed in this episode. Me too. I mean, I guess I knew he died because I remember him, you know, becoming Dean, Deanman, you know, after the, yeah. at the end of this episode. But like, that's, I didn't remember how that happened or the death scene at all. I mean, once we got there and they were fighting, I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is, he dies. But I didn't remember even how, like. Yeah. Of all his deaths, this is kind of like the least memorable one, which is kind of weird when you think about it. 
You know, yeah. I mean, like Sam has all the like right emotions. They spend enough time on that death scene that you think I would remember it. But I guess others just overshadow it, you know? Yeah, and I think it was kind of like... Not that it was rushed, but it was also kind of like end of the episode, all of a sudden, oh, he's dead. Oh, now he's going back here. Oh, now he's back to life. Like, it wasn't like a, you have to go to the next episode to, like, figure out the, like, the resolving situation. Like, he's just, like, he's dead and now he's sort of alive, you know? like (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I don't know. I think it was, like just quick enough to where I just was like, I don't remember this, you know? Like Also, they kind of cut that scene up where they keep cutting back and forth to, like, Cass and then back to them. You know, they mm-hmm. just keep cutting back and forth so much. So I think if they had done it all in one go, just like that mm-hmm. dust scene and, like, Sam being emotional and then, mm-hmm. you know, that whole thing, that might have stuck. But, like, they kept, like, chopping it up into something that wasn't so so serious. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that that really took away from... I guess my it's sticking in my memory. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, when I saw it happen, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I kind of remember this, but I just didn't remember it really being. Also, like, I'm definitely at the point in just, like, Supernatural in general where, like, I've only ever seen all of these, like, once. And some of them I'm convinced that I skipped somehow or, like, wasn't paying attention <laughs> to because, like, I'm like, this is completely new, you know? <laughs> yeah. I but, feel that. I mean, I've only seen most of these episodes one time, too. And years yeah. ago. I mean, really, this aired years ago. And I watched these as they aired. You, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Well, no, starting in season 10, I think. Oh, yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I remember... I think I started watching it, like, at season five as it aired, so. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I was like, okay. I remember, I think I saw a couple, like, reaction videos that just, like, popped up, you know, on my feed or whatever on social media before I even, like, watched the episode. So I was like, so it's kind of spoiled for me, for sure, that Dean, you know, becomes a demon at the end. So I went into it knowing that, you know, like, he's alive at the end of the episode as a demon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, him dying was just kind of like, uh, okay, like, yeah. Right? When you going to demon out? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Also, probably soon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, my, one of my other thoughts, I thought it was kind of funny how Crowley knew that something was wrong with Dean because he didn't eat his cheeseburger. <laughs> Yeah. Something's got to be horribly wrong for you to not eat that cheeseburger. That's right. That's exactly right. That was pretty <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, also, like, my only real beef with the whole, like, Metatroning in this. I mean, I have a lot of beef with Metatron in general. But, like, the whole, like, ending of this episode with Metatron, like, my beef with it was, like, you know, okay, I understand why Cass didn't kill Metatron. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> I would have loved to see that, you know, like, because, like, just end him, you know? Mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I was, like I said, I was watching this with Killian, and he kept asking me, like, is Metatron going to die? Is Cass going to kill Metatron? Is Dean going to kill Metatron? When's Metatron going to die? He was like, he was like the kid on the Princess Bride. Like, who kills him? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and I was like, I, well, he definitely doesn't die right now. I was like, I don't remember. This is not a spoiler because I truly don't yeah. remember if Metatron dies. Like, I know yeah, I there's no an episode. Idea. 
in the future that he's in. So I know he doesn't die here, you know, yeah. but like, I don't remember what happens at the end of that episode. The last one I can remember him being in anyway. Well, I no? just don't remember Metatron's arc, like the end of his arc. If he even like, that's the thing is like, honestly, I don't remember anything. Yeah. I, this I point, re- really about him, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I I couldn't tell you his storyline from here at all, you know. Yeah, I mean, so. I do know that he's in at least an episode in the next season. Because he doesn't yeah. die here. I know yeah. that for sure. But, like, yeah. I he I just don't remember what happened. I mean, yeah, I yeah. don't remember. I have Does no idea. Die? No idea. So, yeah. that was weird. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. thought it was kind of aggravating how he just, like, jailed him rather than, like, just ending him. You know, like... <laughs> Uh, also, also the episode I'm thinking of, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but I, I do, you know, Metatron has some brief redemption, not enough redemption to forgive any of this, but just oh, I in do. general, like he, he takes a stance you don't expect him to. Yeah. And it, you know, I do remember what you're talking him. about now. Yeah. Damn, I do kind of, I do remember. But I don't remember what happens to him in, in, at the end of that episode or if anything does happen to him. I don't remember. I don't remember either. Yeah. So, but I know which episode you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in that moment, I remember being really annoyed that he was suddenly the likable person. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even say he was likable, he wasn't though. Likeable, he just he wasn't was like, as intolerable. He was defending humanity, basically. You know what I mean? Like, as generic as I can make that sound. You know, yeah. sticking up for the humans, kind of. And I was like, what are you even, why, why are you doing this? Why do you care? And then like, you know, suddenly he's like the better of the, you know, the two people who are deciding stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I was like, wow, I hate that I like what you're saying. Great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So yeah. anyway, okay. That was the whole, if you haven't seen that episode, you probably hate me right now. Cause none of that made sense, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do I have any other thoughts? No, I don't. I was like, <laughs> I'm looking at my like my notes going, um, I don't think I had anything else. Um, so what was your favorite moment from this episode? Okay, well, I don't really have a favorite moment. I got a lot of moments I dislike. Um, yeah. One thing that I thought was well done or like I just liked uh, was how Gadriel kind of like sacrificed himself to, you know, bus cast out of jail. Like, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, I, I mean, I didn't love, okay, I didn't like that because this means I'm not going to see that character again. And I just love that actor so much. So mm-hmm. that's mostly why I didn't like it. But, <laughs> uh, but I thought that was, that was a good end for him. I thought his arc was fine. You know, I, yeah, he did the right thing in the end. wasn't thinking about himself, kind of, you know, like, yeah. Uh, while we are told over and over again that his character, you know, has only thought about himself and his own plight and being misunderstood and you mm-hmm. know being in jail for so long and how he needs, you know, to prove himself. Um, yeah, he kind of got over that in the end. Maybe it was more of like a, I'd rather die for Cass than stay in this jail forever. So I mean, maybe, possible, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, but like, you know, he, he did the right thing. And, and, and yeah, also like, kind of though, like he did that, okay, Cass's jail cell, jail cell is open, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. Hannah's there and not hurt. She could have fucked him up back into captivity or whatever. So that yeah. wasn't like a brilliant plan, really. You know what I mean? Like she could have easily like, 
Yeah, but I think the reason that he did it is because, like, at a certain point, like, if he's blowing himself up for it, he believes that this is the right thing. And to go from, like, being on one side to the other, like, being with Metatron to being against Metatron and, like, Mm -hmm. being willing to die for that, like... Yeah, that that would be like, oh, there's something that might be valid here, you know? Yeah, you're right, yeah. So... Also, Hannah was, like, anti-Metatron for so long. You know what I mean? So, probably wasn't hard for her. Yeah, and I feel like because... I think he was just willing to take... I I would assume that he was just willing to take a chance and go, okay, listen, like, she's either going to believe me or not, but either way, I don't have to deal with being in this jail cell. You know, like, I'm either helping the cause or I'm just not dealing with it anymore. You know, like... Which, I mean, you know, like, okay. It's not surprising. Yeah. No. But, um, I, so I was, I was bummed that that's, you know, the end of him. But it was yeah. good. It was good. So, yeah. anyway, that's all I could pull out of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> what was, uh, what was your favorite moment? Um, mine was when Crowley was schooling Dean about etiquette at the, <laughs> at the restaurant or cafe yeah. or bar or wherever they were, you know, and he's like, you're not even going to order any food. What's the tip on a cup of coffee? You know, like, yeah. it was just kind of like, <laughs> you're a demon. Why do you have care? some respect? You know, and yeah. it was like, but like, what do you care? You know, <laughs> exactly. That seems like something a demon would do. So yeah, that was, that was funny. Crowley in general is always a good time at this yeah. point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he is like, sort of her. I mean, like, yes, it's Crowley frustrating sometimes. Yes, but I do like overall like him as a character without getting into why, because that would, you know, probably I'm just not going to do it. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyways, um, so uh, interesting facts. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sorry, my voice just kind of went. It says, um, as Metatron begins his all-angel broadcast, his voice echoes dramatically. His assistant, Neil, says more reverb, to which Metatron replies, because I'm Lou Gehrig. Uh, Lou Gehrig forced to retire, or was forced to retire in 1939 because of his recent ALS diagnosis and delivered his famous luckiest man on the face of the earth farewell speech on July 4th in a packed Yankee Stadium with a lot of reverberation. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that about him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like, knew he... It seems like they're making fun of ALS to an extent, but they're like, no, this guy did a speech and it had a lot of reverberation. So, like, you know, I don't want to do that. And I was kind of like, okay, that's like... <laughs> that's a little better. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize there was, like, a famous speech. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Um... Uh, So it says uh, the title of this episode is actually a reference to the song of the same title by Slade. Um, The line from Fleetwood Mac actually says, I never did believe in miracles. Okay. (laughs) Which I don't understand any of that that I just read. I mean, I know who Fleetwood Mac is, but like, that's it. Yeah. But then it says the song by Slade and then a line from Fleetwood Mac. So like, is Slade the name of the song is slayed the name of the like artist i don't know anyways yeah i don't um, know whatever <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> there's no point in worrying myself about it because i'm <laughs> i know I, I clearly don't care enough to google it so yeah nope not okay either. sorry um, good <laughs> mac okay um so it says the song that plays at the end of this episode is can't find my way home by blind faith um while songs like 
these are chosen carefully, Supernatural sometimes unintentionally wraps around to one of the first themes in the series. Uh, the ghost that repeats, I can never gum- come home. Not gum. <laughs> I can never gum home. <laughs> Crackers. That's awkward. I don't know. I can never go home um, from uh, season one, episode one, uh, which mirrors Sam and Dean's struggle to find a true home um, beyond the meaning of a building that they live in, but a place with family and safety uh, throughout the series. Okay. Yeah. Um, it says at about, <laughs> I love it. It says about 29 minutes and 10 seconds. <laughs> so, okay. It's right. Minutes. It's right around <laughs> this very specific time. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at around <laughs> 2910, um, Dean says to Metatron, hell, I'm blaming you for the Cubs not winning the World Series in the last 100 freaking years. Um, in 2016, two years after this episode aired, the Chicago Cubs would go on to win the World Series for the first time in 108 years. Damn. Okay. Uh, it says Muncie, Indiana is a real town and home of Ball State University, alma mater of David Letterman. Um, I mean, Ball I, State? What? Yep. Never what? heard of it, what? but, uh, what? I'm gonna giggle a little. <laughs> okay, wait. Like, B-A-L-L. Is Indiana known as the Ball State? Like, is that a thing? Is no, that what Ball they mean? Ball State University. Okay. That's the name of the college. Okay. But I don't, I mean, I've never heard of it. But I, I just want to know why. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. If you're from Indiana, <laughs> please educate us. Like, we would, what? We would like that. What, what is it about balls? <laughs> why ball? I need I to know. Ask, yeah. Okay. All right. Like, what, what is the purpose? What is the meaning? <laughs> okay. Um, So it says, before being replaced with Line of Love by the Miners due to licensing issues, um, season one's Supernatural Route 666 uh, featured I Can't, or featured Can't Find My Way Home by Blind Faith, uh, which coincidentally was also used in this episode nine years later. Okay. Um, It says, in the original cut of the final scene, uh, the mark of Cain on Dean's arm begins to glow as Crowley puts the first blade onto Dean's hand. Um, It was cut out of the final edit, uh, presumably so as not to give the game away and heighten the shock we feel when Dean opens his eyes to reveal they are completely black and that he is now a demon. Yeah, that would have taken it away. Yeah. I think, for for sure. sure. And like, oh, something's happening, not just like, what's going on? All of a sudden, whoop, black eyes, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... So it says, Gadriel asks Castiel uh, what's the plan for getting, or what the plan is for getting past uh, Metatron loyalist angels guarding the door to heaven. Uh, Cass grins and says, Wookiee. <laughs> uh, this is a reference to Star Wars from 77, uh, when Han and Luke, disguised as uh, stormtroopers, escort a handcuffed, che- che- handcuffed Chewbacca through the Death Star. Okay, I was yeah. I mean, I did see, I've seen those movies, but like one time, a very long time ago, remember literally nothing, literally. Yeah. So that was me. I think me. I vaguely like that's like tickling something in my brain, but I don't really know why. So there's that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it says Dean tells Metatron, uh, you're nothing but Bernie Madoff with wings. Uh, Bernard Madoff committed the largest financial fraud in history in 2008, operating a Ponzi scheme, um, a shell game using new seed money, not profits, to pay returns to investors um, to defraud thousands of investors of billions of dollars. I feel like I heard about that now that I. Yeah, yeah. The name was familiar. And then. Yeah, the Ponzi. The name 
yeah, I was like, I couldn't tell you why the name sounds familiar, but I know it sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, so it says, as some homeless people start to kill an angel for Metatron, uh, he smirks and says, you love me. You really, really love me. Um, in 1985, Sally Field won an Oscar and her emotional acceptance speech included, you like me right now. You like me. Um, that speech was frequently parodied and misquoted. And by the release of the movie, The Mask from 1994 had become an ironic slash sarcastic. You love me. You really, really love me. I did not know that that originated with Sally Field. That's amazing. Okay. Or Sally Fields. What is it? Is there an S on her last name? I can't remember. No, at least Sally not Field. on this, but okay. I mean. Anybody yeah. could write these, so who knows? <laughs> okay. Um, so it says, uh, when Crowley is talking to dead Dean, um, around the time when Crowley says he died, except as rumor has it, uh, the footage cuts to an extreme close-up of Dean's dead face. Um, there are many techniques for keeping absolutely still when playing dead, but it is impossible to be totally unmoving. Um, if you look closely at Jensen's eyes during this close-up, you can see his eyelids fluttering ever so slightly. I did not see that. Okay. I didn't either, but I wasn't really paying that close of attention i think i was writing about um how he looks rather green so <laughs> oh yeah okay <laughs> um uh the last one says uh the angel who calls out metatron is mentioned in a previous episode and his picture is shown so i'm guessing that like the one that in the homeless camp that's like calling out metatron yeah i don't remember him i mean I it sounds like you just see a picture of him at some other point before okay. this that's kind of what i got out of it okay but yeah um, so our research from today is, oh goodness, let me just like read out this, <laughs> this huh. website. It's blog.newspapers.library.in.gov. Um, and it's from the Hoosier State Chronicles, um, Indiana's digital historic newspaper program. Okay. Um, <laughs> And the title is The House of the Gibbering Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, jibber jabber. I know. Um, so I think, I don't remember if this has anything to do with Muncie or if it's just near yeah, there. Yeah, I yeah, don't, yeah. I don't totally remember. Okay. Um, anyways, um, but yeah, it's in Indiana. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> um, so it says, here's a tale about Native American gold, the botched suicide of a pioneer medical man, things that scurry through the attic, and a horseman riding up out of the ground. Um, it says, we owe this one to W.H. Blodgett, um, a veteran writer for the Indianapolis News, who published the piece on November 2nd, 1901. Um, Blodgett typically covered politics and was the news correspondent, or yeah, the news correspondent in California um, during the sensational trial of John and James Mac or McNamara. McNamara? McNamara? Mac McNamara, I think. There's no A, though. Oh, okay, then. McNamara? I don't know. I don't um, Anyways, I, I know somebody that has a last name of McNamara, and so, like, I always, like, I, I can never get it right. I <laughs> when I see that it's not with the a i'm like mm -hmm. it's this and i'm like wait no it's this and anyways um <laughs> so mcnamara um uh so they were union men who dynamited the los angeles times in october of 1910 um he also took an interest in hoosier folklore um traveling around the state looking for its spectral mysterious past um, in October 1901, the Indianapolis News correspondent showed up on the 160-acre farm of Gus and Molly Burgess um, along what he calls the National Road between Yorktown and Daleville, Indiana. 
Um, and in quotes, it says, this must be State Route 32, which runs along the White River west of Muncie. There we go. There's Muncie. There it is. Um, <laughs> so it says, uh, Blodgett had been playing cards with another reporter in Indianapolis and talking about an old haunted house that once sat on old Mississippi Street, quote unquote, or in quotes, Senate Avenue, um, when they decided to drive up to Delaware County and try to see some paranormal activity firsthand. Um, uh, it says Charles Augustus and Molly Burgess, um, both in their 20s, lived in the old farmhouse with their six-year-old son, Peyton Burgess. Um, they told uh, Blodgett they'd been living there for six years. Um, the two earlier tenants hadn't stuck around, including one, who moved into the house one day and got out the next. <laughs> hmm. um, the house sat back from the road a little and was part sh or partly hidden by a small grove of locust trees. Um, it was a lonesome looking place out on, or on the outside in spite of the bright lights that shone out from the windows. The whole place seemed to be cut off from the outer world by an invisible wall. Um, the location was near a spot called the Kilgore neighborhood, um, a half mile perhaps from the Pikes Peak schoolhouse, where many a good citizen of Delaware County received his early training. Um, it says a Native American graveyard was also located close by. Um, even to this day, bones, arrows, and crude implements of the, of the chase are plowed up, wrote Blodgett. Um, central Indiana farmers back then sometimes kept barrels full of bones that cropped up in their fields, tumbled out of decaying burial mounds, or even showed up in the hollows of ancient trees. Ugh. Like, okay, but, like, why would you keep barrels of bones? Like, that, what are you doing with them? You know, I Haven't don't... Haven't you, I mean, ever read any scary story ever? Like, you don't disturb that shit. You know? No, I mean, no. I, if you're plowing and it disturbs it, it's not like you're doing it on purpose. But sure, then, like, but you don't just keep it, like rebury it, do something respectful. Otherwise, you're gonna, you know, have cursed land and shit. That's how, like, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that is like an actual horror movie trope. Like, yeah, 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 like that's a that's a real thing. You oh know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say I mean, real, like, and then about stories, but whatever. I mean, still, you don't fuck with that. Just don't mess with things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it says, as Blodgett told it, uh, two legends converged on the Burgess's um, White River Valley Farm. Uh, the first involved a famous Indian chief known as Wasahito. Uh, Hitu, um, which means the fox. Um, Wasahito. To, I don't know, um, according to this story, had traded with white pioneers and in his wigwam, he had $5,000 in gold. Um, after the fox died in a wolf hunt, his gold disappeared. Um, by the 1890s, spiritualists from nearby Camp Chesterfield, uh, which is ground zero for paranormal investigation in the Hoosier state, um, were said to be conducting seances to locate the lost gold, thought to be cached near a great rock along the White River. Um, Blodgett never mentioned how the fox died. Was he eaten by a wolf? <laughs> Who knows? Um, only that his spirit might have been might have found a new home in the boggy swamp next to the river. Um, at some point, in fact or fable, the fox turned into a headless horseman, riding out over area farms, out of barn doors, and even straight up from the soil. Yeah. Um, it says the other ghost lurking around the Burgess property, um, this house of gibbering ghosts, <laughs> um, was rumored to be the phantom of Dr. George Washington Slack, uh, a former inhabitant. Um, Slack had come to Delaware County from Pennsylvania in the 1830s as a 12-year-old settler with his parents. Um, after studying at Rush Medical College in Chicago, Dr. Slack went on to pr 
practiced medicine in Yorktown and apparently became well-known in central Indiana. His eight children probably lived in the house with him, which might have been the original log cabin his parents built. Um, Slack died in January 1886, aged 60. Um, Burgess misidentifies him as Cyrus Slack, then tells the story, perhaps imaginary, of his botched attempt to end his life. Here's the tale. And then it's got like a bunch of newspaper clippings. So okay. I'm going to try and read these the best I can. It's a little tricky to like read the pictures, but it'll be like, I can do it. It just, you know, <laughs> if I goof up a bunch of times, I'm sorry. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, so this is um, his actual article. Um, so it says, Tragedy of the Haunted House. Cyrus Black was a, uh, was a I wonder, Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm having Harry Potter moments. Yeah. Anyways, um, Cyrus Black was a country physician who lived in this house about 25 years ago, said Mr. Burgess. Um, he was a famous doctor in his day and used to travel all over this country, healing the sick, and he accumulated a good deal of money, so it is stated. As he grew in years, his mind became unsettled, and one night he went out into the yard and shot himself. The wound did not kill him, and with the blood pouring from his body, he went into the house, up the stairs to a little room in the northwest corner, and cut his throat. Um, the blood from this second wound um, uh, ate into the floor, and the stain is still there, and so are the marks of his boot heels where he staggered against the wall. But he did not die there. His death came at some hospital. The supposition is that he has returned in spirit, if not in body. Uh, yes, that is a the story they tell. There are a lot of people around here that have seen the... The hant? Yeah, that's like a haunt. Okay. It's H-A-N-T. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's just a... Or maybe that's how what they used to say. I don't know. Say for, like, haunt or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the spook, the ghost. Um, yeah. And they all believe in it. Um, of course, I don't know what it is, but some strange things have happened since we've lived here now more than six years. Um, it says... And then... So this is like a conversation between two people. And then so the next person says, what is the nature of the demonstrations? Do you hear clanking chains and all that? And then the person says, um, no, I never have heard any clinking chains, but I have heard groans coming from the room upstairs, and I have heard things rolling over the floor and the sound of music, just like someone was playing the violin. Hmm. And I have heard people laugh and footfalls on the stairs as if someone were coming down, but no one ever appeared. Um, then that door between the dining room and the kitchen swings open at all hours and without any apparent reason. Uh, no matter how much we fasten it, it swings open. There's a little cupboard out in this kitchen where, oh no, sorry, I like accidentally clicked on a picture and it apparently zoomed in. Okay. Um, uh, okay. There's a little cupboard out in the kitchen where the old doctor kept his medicines um, and the door to that kept swinging open until I took it off its hinges. <laughs> uh, I would too. I know, just like, and we're done. Um, it says, did you ever see anything in the house yourself? Um, and then the next headline, he shot at the ghost. <laughs> oh, no. Um, it says, no, but I do not know as I ever saw anything sure, but I heard a heap. Um, but when Bill Fouquet, I'm guessing is how you say that, um, lived here, he saw the ghost right in his room and he shot at it a number of times. See, there are the bullet holes. <laughs> okay. And sure enough, the bullet holes were there in the woodwork, showing that someone had been indulging in pistol practice at short range. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. This says, uh, Tom McKenney, continued Mr. Burgess, uh, moved into the house one day and got out the next. He could not stand the noises, and he saw the haint, or the haunt, mm, uh, haunt, 
um, standing right where that stove is now. Um, It says, lighting a large farm lantern, Mr. Burgess led the way to the second floor of the house. Uh, The stairway was narrow and the steps close together, and they wound and twisted so that it was almost impossible for two persons to walk abreast. It was a fine specimen of the old-time stair builder's art. It creaked and groaned under the weight of the crowd, for a lot of the neighbors hearing of the investigation had come in. (laughs) Um, The upper part of the house is used by Mr. Burgess as a storeroom. It smelled damp, and there were evil-eyed spiders in the ceiling corners that seemed to prevent the intrusion. (laughs) Not okay. Uh, I mean, like, I would say most spiders are evil-eyed, but that's fine. Ah. This is clearly somebody who does not appreciate spiders, which, I mean, I feel you, bro. I get it. Um, (laughs) um, It says, if ever a ghost wanted a spot suitable for his business, here it was. (laughs) Throwing back an old mattress and some worn-out carpets, Mr. Burgess pointed to the floor and said, there's the blood. Um, That is where he cut his throat. Um, Sure enough, on the floor uh, was a great dark-colored splotch. It had every appearance of blood as I closely examined it by the fitful light of the lantern um, that Dick held down to the floor. An effort had been made to scrape it out with a knife, but the effort had failed for the stain showed under the scratches. Um, so it says, we, tr- uh, we have tried to scrub it out, said Mr. Burgess. Um, my wife has used strong lye um, and she could not remove it. People who know ha- or people who know have been here and say it is blood. Um, it says the splotch looked as if a sudden flow of blood had struck the floor and then run several feet, making a long ragged ribbon. Um, it had, ev- it had every appearance of blood turned from its fresh color by age. Um, across the room, close to the grimy wall, was the mark of two boot heels. Um, the imprint of, oh, this is kind of like inked, there's like an ink splotch over it. Um, the imprint of the something nails okay i don't know um was as bold as if they had been put there but yesterday um they were of unusual shape not the contour of a modern boot heel and the marks were sunk heavily into the soft pine um that said mr burgess um is where he is supposed to have stood just after he cut his throat and tracked the blood from that other spot um how long have these marks and the bloodstains been here uh it says ever since i have lived here and those who visited the room Oh, another one that's... Okay, many years before we moved in, uh, say the marks were here then, and they have not changed any. I don't try to explain this. You can see for yourself what it is and draw your own conclusions. Um, Over the rooms of the second story is a garret that is used as a granary. Um, About the door... Or about the floor and on a swinging shelf was a lot of ear seed corn cob or corn cobs glass bottles and other things um, that would naturally be found in an old country storeroom. Um, on the floor was a shallow pan in which some white substance was swimming <laughs> in oh, water. I don't like that. I know, like oh. <laughs> uh, it says, what is that? Rat poison. Um, oh. We are troubled a good deal with rats up here, and so we put some poison here for them. Um, do you ever see any rats up here? No, but I've heard them running about. When a rat is poisoned, it always tries to find water. Um, ah, was all that was said, but it meant a great deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it says, uh, what about this headless horseman? Did you ever see him? A number of times, promptly replied Mr. Burgess. I've shot at him often, but I've never been able to hit him. Oh my <laughs> he rides God. a sort of dark horse, just like the doctor used to ride, and he's sort of thin and misty-like and has no head. Um, He generally starts at the barn, but I have seen him out on the road there in front of the house. 
Sometimes he just seems to bob up out of the ground, and lots of people have had their horses shy at him, and he has ridden around people who are driving along the road. It is not very often that he gets far away from the house, and then he just disappears, and no one knows what becomes of him. Um, I am not the only one that has shot at him, but no one has ever been able to hit him. (laughs) I wonder if this is like... You know, the classic headless horseman. Like, I wonder if I know, it comes that, from I'm that kind of or if there's, like, that, more like, than one, you know, legend oh, of yeah. that. I'm so. kind of wondering if that's, like, part of where it came from or if there's just, yeah, again, if there's more than one, you know. Yeah. Huh. Um, so it says, uh, does he keep his horse in the barn here? Um, I don't think he does now. The old barn that was here when the doctor shot himself is torn down. Um, when Bill Fouquet um, lived here, he always had trouble to get his horses into the barn at night. Uh, they would snort and tremble and seem very much afraid. And if Bill got home late, he would never go into the barn after night. The doors would be fastened sometimes, too, and Bill could hardly get them open. And then at other times, the doors would fly open and Bill could not get them shut. Um but the bar- the part of the barn where the doctor used to keep his horse is pulled down now, and the headless horseman just comes up from the ground in the barn lot or out in the road or anywhere. Hmm. Um, it says, an article from the Indiana Herald in hunting... And so this is the end of the like actual newspaper article. Okay. Um, it says, an article from the Indiana Herald in Huntington suggests that Dr. Slack died of ap- apoplexy. That's a hard... Uh, apoplexy? I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. I don't know. Um, it says, uh, yet it's always possible that folklore got its facts correct, um, since in the case of the suicide of a respectable country doctor, the family might not have shared the full tale with the press and neighbors. Um, the yeah. truth about the doctor's demise remains a mystery, but it seems like Wasahito, Hito, I don't know, um, was a, was also a candidate for the stat or for the status of headless horseman. Hmm. Um, it says Indianapolis news correspondent W.H. Blodgett slept easy that night, at least until he was awakened by an unearthly noise in the neighboring bed. Um, his traveling companion and fellow ghost hunter Dick had started choking, gurgling and gasping a muffled call for help. Hmm. Um, guess I had a nightmare, said Dick when he finally awakened. Um, had the horse come after all? Um, nightmare is partly related to the old Norse words for night ride, um, a night horse or a mare dream and the demon that rides them. Huh, I did not know that. Interesting. So, yeah, and then there's okay. um uh, there's like some pictures here. Um and it says um Gus Burgess later became the postmaster of the York or of Yorktown. Um um oh, okay, this is just saying like what happened to them later after they were, you know, oh, okay. doing their job. Of, <laughs> okay. You know, Anyways, yes. So that is our research about Indiana. Awesome. And like possible headless horsemen. Yeah, that's interesting. A, hmm. a couple different varieties potentially, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Um. So what was your rigid harassment moment from this week? Okay. So um, I decided to schedule some allergy testing uh, for myself and Eric and Killian. Um, basically, like over this last year. Um. I think I told you, like, my body did a whole lot of crazy shit. And one of the things it did was, um, you know, kind of rash out along, like, the back of my neck. Um, My eyelids got all rashy and, like, flaky and puffy. It was not a cute look. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I went to, you know, it started, like, kind of creeping up around my chin and around my mouth. So I went to the dermatologist and, you know, he gave me all the cortisone and was just like, you know, this will make it go away. But when you're when you're done, cause you can only use it for like two weeks at a time, right? Basically mm-hmm. two weeks out of every month. 
he was like, you know, if it comes back when you're done with that, then you need to get allergy tested. So I did that. It came back. I set up an allergy testing, um, not through my dermatologist. It's a, it's a company, um, that has uh, a bunch of different locations, um, in Washington. Um, and so anyways, I set up an appointment and I thought, you know, Hey, I'll do like Eric and Killian can have appointments too. And that way we can just all see what everything we're allergic to. And we'll know, <laughs> yeah. Right? So, I was like, get it over with. Cause yeah. it's going to be at some point it's bound to happen. So yeah, I mean, we all have sensitive skin in different ways. It might as well just figure it out. Like I, um, I've done like the scratch test. So like before, so I know that like, yeah, I'm allergic to dust. Okay. And I've done like a blood work allergy test and I'm allergic to ragweed. Okay. But, mm-hmm. um, they were like, you know, you need to do the patch test, which will do chemicals. So chemicals that you find in your skincare, in your laundry detergent, just like all, you know, soap, just Mm -hmm. all those kind of things that you come in contact with daily. I was like, that's perfect. That's what I need. So I call them and I'm setting up the appointment. And um, I was really specific about me needing the, me needing this very specific type of test. Like I was like, Eric and Killian can do all of it. You know, like let's just yeah. find out everything they're allergic to. And yeah. I just need this one type of test. And they were like, okay, okay. So you need to come off all your antihistamines and anti or and antacids. So um, you come off your, so I take Zyrtec, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. My antihistamine, I have to have to, accept, blah, blah, blah. I have to take that every day. Um, Cause I have something called dermatographia, which basically means if you scratch me lightly, uh, I will hive up there. So like dermatographia means skin writing, which means you can like literally write your name on like my butt, which is like scratching it. Okay. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) we could use this somehow. (laughs) I would have to be off my Zyrtec for a couple days, but yes, yes, schedule that. (laughs) That's right on Liz's butt today. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I went off my Zyrtec. It was miserable. I mean, like within 24 hours, my whole body head to toe was itching. I was like, you know, fire itching, like between my toes. It's just mm-hmm. all, all of it. But like, that's what having dermatographia feels like. So I knew mm-hmm. that was going to happen. Um, and then I, you know, had to go off my Pepsid, which I mean, is basically a nightmare for me because I have GERD. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's just, it feels like I'm going to puke all the time. It's not great, but I was like, okay, like I got to do this for like two or three days. Like mm-hmm. it's worth it. Okay. <clears throat> so I go to my appointment, uh, which is early in the morning and like an hour away. Um, I get there. It's all good. Uh, I wait, you know, for the doctor for like an hour, which I mean, okay, that happens sometimes. I'm not, yeah. you know, whatever. I'm not going to complain about that. It's just, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor comes in. She's lovely. She's very nice. Uh, we were talking about why I wanted this, blah, 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 blah. And um, she's like, okay, so this patch test, you know, like, like this is just the meetup for that. Like we're now we have to schedule the test. She's like, it's three days. You have to make three appointments in one week. The first day you'll come in and we'll put the patch on you. It's like this huge, you know, thing that that they Mm -hmm. stick on your back with a bunch of different chemicals on it you know she's like then you're gonna so that's a Monday then you're gonna come back on a Wednesday we're gonna look at it make sure you're okay (laughs) we're gonna put it back on and then you come back the next day to have it come off I was like okay so we're not doing anything today so like why am I off my meds thank you that was a miserable fucking weekend I had by the way, which was like a vacation weekend that Eric yeah. took me on to Cannon Beach. So it was just like, I mean, that was great. But like, I also was horrifically uncomfortable the whole time, you yeah. know, so not great. Um, okay. 
Um, all right, so we're going to do this in October. Like, currently it's August, right? It's still August, I think. Mm-hmm. Almost September. I'm like, okay. She's like, also, you don't need to come off your Zyrtec or Pepsid for this test. You can stay on it. What so the why fuck? did you come so off it to begin it. with? I didn't even have to come off it in the first place. And I was, when I scheduled this appointment, really specific about the test that I needed. Mm-hmm. So, like, hey, like, I, clearly there's a miscommunication with, like, the scheduler. Maybe that's just what they tell everybody. But, like, I wasn't even getting tested this day. This was yeah. just my initial, you know, discussion about what we're going to do in the future. Like, I but didn't need to come off that. that say that too like the and they would know that because they're the ones scheduling it you know exactly I was so annoyed that I just was like so uncomfortable in my skin you know for days to not do any testing and guess Mm -hmm. what to do this test don't even need to feel that way at all so I was big annoyed but oh that's fine I mean clearly that's I, I mean I'm just assuming that that's what they tell everybody coming in for an appointment to you know, do allergy testing. I don't know. I just, I was ugh, so annoyed. And then <laughs> immediately got in my car afterwards and took my Zyrtec and Pepsi. Yeah, I <laughs> so would too. Like, I'd be oh, like, I'm loading up. up. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was really frustrating. Just, you know, it didn't ruin my, you know, romantic getaway weekend, but it could have been more romantic and less annoying. <laughs> it isn't burning. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, I knew that was going to happen. I was, you know, emotionally and mentally like prepared for that, but it was just still like, I didn't need to do that. That didn't need to happen. Yeah. That would be nice to know. So anyway, yeah. who's the yes, but I don't know. Just there's a disconnect. Scheduler. Yeah. I mean, I mean, clearly they weren't trained in that though. You know what I mean? Like they were kind not of a digit about the whole thing. And in doing so, we're also kind of an ass butt about the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe they just aren't trained to, you know, maybe that's just what they're told. Right. So I don't know. Somebody's an ass butt and it made me real itchy. <laughs> yeah. I know. So. Like maybe they just like, I don't know, heard allergies and were like, oh, well you have to do this no matter what, you know, I don't know. That's yeah, it was, it was annoying. Uh, I'm glad, you know, that I don't have to go off of it to do this test. I didn't know I was going to have to wait months to do this test. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was making this appointment to do that test, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. I mean, fine. It's not like a, a super emergency or anything to find this out. So, okay. No, but still it's aggravating. It is. It's annoying. So anyway, what was your idiot or aspect moment? Mm-hmm. So, um, mine, I had one of my friends and her boyfriend come over for the weekend and they brought their puppy who, I mean, she's like a year, year and a half, something like that. So like still kind of puppy whose name is also Maisie. Um, And the two Maisies were, you know, frolicking the whole weekend. And by frolicking, I mean like doggy smackdown the whole weekend. Like they were having a hell of a time, you know, like running around the backyard and each other and just like having a grand old time. Okay. Sounds like like, they had fun. Oh, yeah. No, they had a lot of fun. (laughs) The thing is, is that our Maisie is still only nine months old and still kind of a klutz and, like, doesn't know what to do with her body because she's never had a dog that's been willing to play with her like that before. And, like, that's clearly what she wants, but she has no idea how to go about it. And so (laughs) twice during the weekend was a big old idiot and bit her tongue to the point where she was, like, blood coming out of her mouth, you know? Oh, no. like idiot you know (laughs) know? poor girl yeah I I mean I kind of felt bad but also 
like, dude, you're doing it to yourself. You're just getting so wound up and you can't control yourself that you're literally biting your tongue on your own. Oh, like, yeah. You know? And she did it once to one side of her mouth. And I, you know, like I didn't notice it at first. And then my friend was like, um, your dog is bleeding. <laughs> is bloody. And I'm like, I don't see anything, you know, like, what, like, are you, are you sure? Like, I don't know. And she's like, no, it's bloody. And then I like see the other side of her mouth and I'm like, oh yeah, she's bloody. Let's get you outside. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> wow. blood everywhere, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, it ended up being, and she's like, of course, licking her lips the whole time going like, Ooh, blood, you know, you know, oh boy. And so, like, didn't take very long, kind of figured out that it was her tongue. Like, I wasn't sure if she broke a tooth. I wasn't sure if she, like, you know, what happened if she got, like, bit, like, her lip got bit or something. Like, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, fine, whatever. It was it was what it was. It's not like anybody was trying to hurt anybody. But she couldn't control herself and bit her own tongue. And <laughs> so you know, fine. And literally, you know, the next day, you know, they're going through playing again and she does it again on the other side of her tongue, and big tongue <laughs> again. And it wasn't as bad, but it still was a little bit bloody, but it kind of like, you know, it resolved itself pretty quick. Like it quit bleeding pretty quick. I mean, even with the like bloody mouth one, it was still like within two or three minutes was fine, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, it was just kind of like, dude, really? You know, <laughs> control yourself. Like, yeah. learn to control your body in a way that you don't get hurt trying to play. You know, <laughs> because I mean, you literally get so worked up that you can't even handle your own self, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, poor Maisie. I mean, yeah, poor her, but also, like, you did it to yourself, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that makes me feel bad. I mean, clearly she was fine. Oh, yeah, no, I mean? she's totally fine. And, like, it didn't bother, like, you can tell she wasn't, yeah. like, hurting. She just was, like, something tastes weird, you know? Right, like, right. <laughs> also, I kind of like it, you know? Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for listening to us and our shenanigans. You can email us at idgitsandaspitspodcast at gmail.com. The word and is spelled out. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under Idgits and Aspets, a supernatural podcast. Make sure to rate and review us on iTunes and send us your Idgit and Aspet moments for a chance to hear your story on our podcast. Thanks again. Thank you.